everyone, welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, Year 2, where this year we're reading through and studying the entire New Testament, one chapter at a time. Thanks again for joining us in discovering God's plan and your part in it. What does Jesus have to say about divorce? What does Jesus have to say about wealth and money? What does Jesus have to say about his own life? What does Jesus have to say about worldly authority? Oh yeah, and can Jesus do miracles and what does it take? That's what we're going to be covering today, or at least what Mark is going to be covering. Uh, Today we are looking at Mark chapter 10. It feels like we have a lot uh, to deal with here. If you look at this from the top, verse 1, I mean literally just the heading in the ESV is teachings about divorce, um, which probably brings out feelings in you immediately. Um, Because we do recognize that some of you might be divorced who are listening, or some of you may be going through a painful marriage who are listening. and so Or have experienced other relationships around you that have impacted you as a cause of divorce. So there's always like, we want to teach on this because the Bible teaches on this. We want to have a position on this because the Bible has a position on this. What I don't want to do is oversimplify it and make it seem like we don't care or we don't understand that this is hurtful and a lot of times like very frustrating and confusing for pick for particularly people going through it. So in the midst of all this stuff going on with the disciples being like all about themselves, Jesus is also having to deal with the questions that the Pharisees are bringing to Jesus about a very messy, sticky topic that it seems like the past has not totally put together super well for this present day within the the text of scripture that we're reading from within the present day issue. Okay, so here's what's interesting about this. Um, First of all, you need to look at verse 2. The Pharisees came up to Jesus in order to test him. That's Mm -hmm. important. Their motivation is not to understand the teaching. Their motivation is to test Jesus. And this is what's really interesting to know. This was a huge debate when Jesus was doing his ministry amongst the people of faith. As it still seems to be today. (laughs) Yeah, the, the debate hasn't gone away. But what was happening is... Um, the, the Pharisees were heavily influenced by the leaders of the Sanhedrin and the leaders of the Sanhedrin had shifted. So there was a leader of the Sanhedrin who had said that, um, and, and this is, I, you need this context this is all based on Deuteronomy 24, one and Deuteronomy 24 is like the old Testament teachings on divorce. It basically says a man can divorce his wife if he has found some indecency in her. There's a lot more there than just that. But when Jesus was doing his ministry, that's what people were arguing about. Because one man who was leader of the Sanhedrin was focusing on the word some, basically saying if you find anything that is indecent at all ever, you can issue a certificate of divorce. So there were a group of people that were following that guy and what he was teaching. And there does seem to be evidence that some men would use this to say, my wife is not a very good cook. I would like to divorce her. I have found some indecency in her. Then there was another leader of the Sanhedrin who said, no, the word we need to focus on is not some. The word we need to focus on is indecency. And so what God was intending through Moses is that if your wife has cheated on you, you can divorce her. So they're actually asking Jesus to weigh in on this very present theological debate amongst the Pharisees. What's interesting is what Jesus does is ignore both of them 
and go all the way back to God and say, God instituted at the beginning that the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So it's very interesting that Jesus just bypasses all of it and is like, hey, that's the law. It was given to you because you have hard hearts. God knew that you would rebel against him. And so he gave you guidelines of how to handle people who were in rebellion. What you need to know is that God's intent is that when people get married, they are not to be separated. The the two flesh have become one. You can't separate what God has brought together. So Jesus ignores, essentially, the debate altogether. In Matthew, he does say, that like in the instances of sexual immorality, a divorce is permissible. So the Matthew record is a little bit different than the Mark record, but in both records, he goes back to what God says at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So what we need to understand is that divorce is not supposed to happen. Like marriage is God bringing two people together. The two have become one flesh. You should not be separated. Is that difficult to hear? Yes. Is it hard to work out in real life? Yes. And Obviously, if you're dealing with difficult things, you understand that the debate of it all is not super helpful. And so I think like one of the best things or best situations for this text to understand is like understand these passages before you're getting married and before you're pursuing relationships. And that's really helpful. Now, obviously, for those of us that are already like beyond that point in life, this is complicated. But again, we need to recognize that God is saying, hey, marriage is really important. You can't separate what God has made one thing. So I think it's okay to recognize that it is complicated in real life situations, particularly really hurtful real life situations. But the the main thing we want to understand is that we should be living lives to honor God. And we do that in a lot more ways than just our marriage. And when we honor God with our lives, it's easier to honor God in our marriage. But when somebody has broken that, then it gets really complicated and really hurtful and really painful. And I think even people that are experiencing that readily recognize the fact that it's painful. And I think something else that is helpful to hear with this, too, is that, and I don't even know that I've ever noticed this before, but Jesus goes back, like you were saying, to what God says And like, yeah, it would have been so easy to be like, well, what that guy said, yeah, there's some validity there. And there's what this guy said, and there's some validity there. But when you when you completely dismiss all of that and you go back to what God originally intended is like, okay, well, this is the intention for marriage. And anything that falls outside of that is just a result of our own like humanity and sin but I love how like I love how Jesus just points back to what God said. Yes. Like there is no wiggle room because it's like, well, it's what God said. You you can't argue that. Yeah. Um, so I think that is even more powerful and that makes this this part a little bit easier to understand too, because it is it is a God thing, not a man thing. I think the next really interesting story in this whole text is this rich young ruler. He mm. makes me very sad. Um, in, in Mark, he also is sad, 32, disheartened by the saying, yes. he went away sorrowful, in sorrowful Mark. He's called the rich young man. And essentially he comes to Jesus. There's a lot of debate as to why he comes to Jesus. Some people think he's just trying to get honor for himself. He wants Jesus to call him a good man. And Jesus doesn't do that. Some people think he genuinely has a real struggle in his mind and he's trying to figure out a solution. The thing that we need to notice is that Jesus invites him to be a disciple He says, um, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He gives this man the same invitation that he gave to the 12 disciples. This dude literally could have been the 13th disciple, 
but he doesn't because he has too much stuff. What Jesus says following this man, like he refuses to sell his stuff. He walks away very sorrowful. And Jesus says um, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. What's interesting, too, about this young man is that what Jesus says to him is that you lack one thing. So what this basically is referring to is that no longer is his trust in the right place. It's not in God anymore. It's in those riches that he has on earth, which actually then comes into complete conflict with the first commandment, which is you shall have no other gods before me. So he actually like he does have some parts that he's kept, but one of the most like one of the most obvious of the commandments is like, hey, don't have anything else before me. And if you're not willing to get rid of your riches, your status, your whatever for the sake of Jesus, then you certainly aren't ready to be following him or be his disciple. It's interesting because what Jesus says to this man like shocks his disciples because the disciples are like, how is anybody going to make it into the kingdom? And there's some back and forth on this. He talks about it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Um, they did back in the day call like some of the gates the eye of a needle. So he could have been talking about how a camel is too tall for a gate and a camel needs to kneel down to make it through a gate. He could also be referring to the fact that a camel is huge and an eye of a literal needle is very small. No matter what he's talking about, it's difficult. It's not easy. The disciples are like shocked by that. But then Jesus says, for all things are possible with God. The idea is not that if you have money, it's impossible to honor God. The idea is that when you are honoring God, you can handle all of the things that he's given given you correctly. Um, to honor him. So sometimes this story is used to be like, well, you know, rich people, they can't make it into the kingdom. It's like, it's a very poor interpretation of this passage. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that with God, all things are possible. When we are worshiping God, we use our possessions to worship God, to have treasure mm-hmm, in heaven. Mm-hmm. This guy could have done that. He didn't because he was rejecting the call of Jesus on his life, not because he was like explicitly uh, distracted by his stuff. He was rejecting Jesus' call. I've often heard of it as like an open-handed type relationship with your your finances or whatever that thing is. Like, obviously, if you trust in the Lord, you're going to have your hand with your finances wide open. Um, and if you don't, or if you're a little skittish or not super comfortable with that, your, your grip's going to be a little bit tighter and your faith is not fully open to what God can do with said things. So in the next couple of verses, verse 32 to 34, like Jesus is like as clear as he can possibly be with what is going to happen to him. And I think it's probably the clearest he's been throughout the book of Mark. He says he'll be delivered over to the chief priests. He says they'll condemn him to death. He says they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. It's very clear. It's not veiled at all. What's interesting is what follows is not the disciples like necessarily, I guess, grappling with this the way that you would think. Um, because it seems like it leads to James and John being like, okay, so can we be on your right hand and your left hand then? Because it seems like there's a change coming and we want to be ahead of it. Yeah, it's really weird too, because they, they're envisioning like these special things that happen to them as a result of being within Jesus' close-knit inner circle. And so what they don't realize is what Jesus is like, he's saying what he has to do, but I don't think they're totally understanding the intensity of what is going to happen to him. Um, And they're really just thinking of kind of what they can get out of it, which is really gross. I don't like it at all. Um, 
But then Jesus actually, he kind of uses that that word language again, like you need to take this cup. Um, and the baptism part that he talks about with his suffering and death, um, which would pour over him like a flood. So there's like these these visuals that go along with it. I don't know. So it seems a little bit cryptic, but at the same time, their motivations are so wrong. So I, I don't know. It's just like this messy, weird situation that I, if I would just be like, oh my gosh, come on guys. And this is so annoying. In verse 44, he's actually going to tell them again. He's reminded them several times about like the real leaders are actually the servants. Whoever mm-hmm. would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's like again and again and again, he's telling them, guys, you need to serve. And the good news is they did get it because these guys end up giving their lives for the glory yeah. of the gospel so that it does click. Um, but they're they're still fleshing out what this is going to look like. And I, I think it's kind of cool. Like, I think it shows the grace and mercy of God, the grace and mercy of Jesus here to his disciples. They don't completely get it. He's giving them freedom to to work it out and to understand it more. And eventually they do get it. And again, I've said this all the time, our faith has been strengthened because of their faith. We don't have faith because they had faith, but their faith has contributed to us mm-hmm. in ways that we can't possibly measure. So it's great that they got it eventually. Yeah. Uh, so there, there is a ton packed in this chapter. It's kind of a fun chapter to read through. Um, as far as your part, man, like this is one of those your part buffets. There's a lot here you could pick. Don't let your possessions separate you from Jesus. Um, make sure your theology of marriage comes from God. And probably like to wrap it all up, like don't forget how often Jesus calls us to be servants not selfish people looking out for ourselves, mm-hmm. um, but people who are humble and willing to serve. So we'll be back again tomorrow uh, looking at Mark chapter 11. We'll see you then. Thanks for joining today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. As always, please consider partnering with us as we are a listener-supported podcast that we hope to continue to grow with support from listeners just like you. We've made it super easy to partner with us, and you can support us by following the link in our show notes or our description. You can support us with as little as $3 a month. Every little bit of this helps so much, and we're so thankful for your support. With that in mind... Here's today's reading. Mark chapter 10. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. 
And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have to give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what will happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him, and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise." And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do this for us, whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. 
But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. Don't forget, you can find us on just about every social media platform and YouTube. Let us know what you thought of today's episode, and if you have any questions, go ahead and post them there. You can also reach out to us directly at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. As always, if you don't have a Bible, or if you'd like to use the one that we use, uh, reach out to us via email, and we'll be happy to send one to you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow.